report in. Red 10 standing by. Red 9 standing by. Red 3 standing by. Red 6 standing by. Red 9 standing by. You're listening to the Ion Cannon Podcast. Laugh it up, fuzzball. Your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. This is it. He laser clickers. Welcome to the Ion Cannon Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Stephen, and I'm joined by my friends and co-hosts, Tom and William. Today, we're discussing Season 1, Episode 3 of The Mandalorian, titled The Sin, and Season 2, Episode 8 of The Resistance, titled Rendezvous Point. Now, before we get started, I think we have one announcement. William, you want to take that one? Yeah, just a little bit of news. Um, <clears throat> Vader Immortal Episode 3, the, uh, the final chapter in the Vader Immortal trilogy is now out on Oculus Quest. And uh, I, I am so excited to play this. It sounds amazing. It looks like we might get to face off against uh, Vader himself. So if you have an Oculus, I think it supports both the Quest and the Rift. Uh, definitely recommend checking out Vader Immortal Episode 3. We will be reviewing it probably on the next episode, either the next episode or the one after that. Uh, we'll have a brief review of Vader Immortal, but Highly, highly recommend it. It's a lot of fun. Very nice. Very cool. Yeah. Tom, you want to tell us about uh, what we're reviewing today? Absolutely. I think right now, out of the three episodes, this one, I don't know what to say about this one because this one was just so great. But we are talking tonight, the first part of the ep- podcast is going to be The Mandalorian Season 1, Episode 3, Chapter 3, The Sin. This was written by John Favreau and was directed by Deborah Chow. Believe it or not, she is also going to be directing the Obi-Wan series, which I find very cool. And I think this is the first time we've had a female director in the Star Wars universe. Is that correct? It is. And yeah, this this episode is just incredible. So I'm uh, I'm very Such excited an- to see not only what she does. I think she has another episode coming up later this season. And then, of course, the Kenobi series. And Yeah. Oh, it's going to be so Yeah, she, she did such an outstanding job with this. And to oh, give you an yeah. idea of what she directed... The episode actually revolved around the battered Mandalorian returns to his client for the reward. So, okay. First off, I'm telling you right now, I know my score when it comes to this, and it's going to be a great one. So, um, I, <laughs> Spoiler no, I, Tom, you're getting ahead of yourself. I know I'm getting ahead of myself because how could you not? Okay, this episode to me completely hit on all cylinders because, okay, first off, it sets up with the Mandalorian had to return back to the planet in which he got his original, um, he had to deliver the package, okay? So naturally, you know, Baby Yoda had to go back, which I'll tell you, how can you not, who came up with the idea of a Baby Yoda like this? Who? Uh, Someone very, very smart. Someone who who now rules the internet because uh, Baby Yoda is everywhere and again we say baby yoda in in air quotes because we know it's not actually baby yoda unless it's a clone and then in which case it might Uh, actually be baby yoda but you get the idea baby yoda we're gonna call baby yoda well we're not gonna play this game (laughs) it it is baby Yoda because there's no i if you can give me another two-word phrase no no i i agree with you baby yoda works it's a it's catchy Uh, the internet gets it you can't call it the package you can't call it baby package. You can't call it anything else. What about the, the asset, the child, well, you but could, yeah, baby Yoda. That's right. You could call it, you could call it baby we're, asset. We're, we're getting our head ourselves. Yeah, we, we are. Ourselves. We are. But, just, but how great of an opening scene to have baby Yoda kind of unscrewing that one piece of the oh, Mandalorian ship. Such mm-hmm. a, such a, just a little touch. I mean, that, that's the one thing about this episode so far all three of these episodes had little itty bitty touches that are just so unexpected, but so, so meaningful like this one, mm. unscrewing the top of that thing 
And then it was very funny for the Mandalorian to say, basically, in so many words, don't eat that. Because you knew that's what, it's a baby. What yeah, are they going to do? I mean, he ate a frog earlier. So what's the worst that could happen? Okay, he was hungry at that point and he could digest a frog. This, this would be a little bit harder going down. <laughs> I suppose. Yeah. yeah. But, Unless, you know, of course, but, there's something about the species we don't know about. Yeah. But it, it is amazing how much that that little, you know, ball... Well, actually, well, there's two things. One, the ball on top of the control, it just makes it feel like it's a real uh, kind of lived-in ship, right? Because, you know, you can unscrew the parts and stuff. It's just not something you see all the time, like how simple right. it is to take yeah. apart the ship. But additionally... Um, you know, when the episode starts, you would never think just how uh, how much emotional resonance that little device would have later on in the episode, and how it kind of gets carried through, you know, in three different parts throughout the episode, uh, and and ends up carrying a lot of weight uh, emotionally. Uh, so yeah, I thought that the scene is just so so perfect, especially as we you know we get back to the we we return to the client's um, hideout again. And you just know, like, we've already started to establish this emotional connection to Baby Yoda. Like, the whole world is talking about it. Even people I know who, who are not Star Wars fans are talking about Baby Yoda. Um, you, you know, like, <laughs> it, it's funny. Baby Yoda, has, I, I feel, is probably the most brilliant stroke. It was a stroke of brilliance to include him. Because... There's so many people who have walked up to me. People who don't watch the show know about Baby Yoda and, and love him. People who do watch the show, you know, are, are loving the show. And oftentimes because of Baby Yoda, uh, I was actually just, you know, my girlfriend had never watched Star Wars previously. I know, shocker. And um, we've been working through the the saga and she actually asked like, hey, can, can I watch the Mandalorian with you like can we watch the next episode so we can find out what happens because I want to know what happens to baby Yoda like she's you know she she loves it um, uh, a, a lot of people love it uh, and I think baby Yoda kind of is that uh, the the on-ramp into the Mandalorian in many ways did to have that much of a draw is is astounding and this has been how many weeks and look at let's say let's say the global phenomenon this little guy has brought to this service. I mean, didn't it just get announced today that right now, by way of streaming, it kind of tops Stranger Things? Yeah. Did I read that correctly? Yeah, I, I don't know how accurate the yeah the the, the reporting is because it's based on like se- social sentiment rather than actual views. But but yeah, I guess Stranger Things has been number one for a number of weeks. I think since mm-hmm. the last season came out, like. 20 some odd weeks something like that uh, in wow. a row and the mm-hmm. Mandalorian has now topped it which I totally believe it's going to be fascinating going forward now with these streaming services other than the ability for each streaming service to figure out by way of downloads how many people are watching it but especially when it comes to the social um, that the social media about this especially when it comes to, to whatever rating system came up that this has more resonance than stranger things now just because of social media how that's going to resonate going forward is that going to be a rating thing or or, or oh, I, don't, I, I don't know this whole this whole streaming thing is so brand new it's fascinating yeah. going forward I, I think the show yeah. is like snowballing in terms of popularity yeah. though because i mean i was at a a, a work a meeting with my the whole team and 
so many people came up to me and were like, William, I, lo- I just started watching The Mandalorian. I love it. Or, William, I'm, I, I've heard you talk about The Mandalorian, and now I, I'm planning to subscribe over Thanksgiving and binge the first few episodes. Like, mm-hmm. countless yeah. people. And yeah. it's not, I've heard other people saying the same thing in their experiences as well. And this show was just... I think it, it, you know, they knew it was going to be big because it was launching Disney Plus and they were using it as a way to bring on Disney Plus subscribers. But mm-hmm. they're also, yeah. it, I think it's also t- kind of taken on a, uh, it's kind of taken on a life of its own in some ways. Right. And I think, I think what helps with this are the little touches. Like we mentioned the top of the control stick where Baby Yoda uh, unscrewed it. The thing that I loved is when the Mandalorian was actually delivering the package to the client. I loved how that little bassinet that Baby Yoda was in, the stormtrooper kind of like grabbed it almost like he was I, pulling it away from the Mandalorian as they were walking down that alley. You almost had this this feeling like, really, you had to go there? I just, I love that little detail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, it's it's the moment where I think it starts to become real for the Mandalorian. The like, yes. oh, that I am no longer the one in control here. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. Like, I brought in the target and I right. don't, I can no longer protect it. I don't have, you know, there's nothing I can do. He's got no say in it. And what I really loved, I've always had a thing about what was the big thing about the ice cream maker? Why was everybody running around celebration or whatever it was with the ice cream maker? Hang on, let's go back a little bit. So this is- Why go back a little bit? I love- Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm just, not everyone knows what you're talking about, Tom. I want to make sure it's super, super clear. So back back in, go back and watch episode five. There's, you know, uh, on Cloud City, there's a big sequence where, you know, Lando orders the evacuation of Cloud City because the Empire is taking over. And in the background of one of the shots is uh, what I'd say is a very classic movie type shot where, you know, we've okay, we've got characters evacuating. We've got to bring things, you know, there. This is the last time they'll be able to be there, whatever it might be. Um, And there's a particular character you can see run by briefly who is holding what is very obviously like a 19, you know, 1980s. Ice cream maker. Okay. Big thank round you, thank you for correcting the decade. That's the one thing I left out. I was, I was about to say 1970 and then I realized. Well, whichever. I mean, yeah, it's an ice cream maker from the, from the olden days. Yeah. And it's one of those things like it's a movie prop. It looks, you know, not like a box. So it it's looks a obvious little bit of, for what it is. It's, it is. Yeah. But it's, it's the type of thing you do because it's in the background. And, you know, in true Star Wars fashion, no minor background detail can go unexplained with <laughs> multitudes of source material. And so we finally found out that this is called a Camtono, which uh, the client first mentions in you know the first episode is payment. And I guess it's kind of like a little portable safe. Yeah, and it's I, I love this because as you mentioned, it's it it the 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 ice cream maker, we never really had a name for it. We never know what it knew what it was. All we knew is this character named Will Row Hood was running in the background with a with an ice cream maker. And it became such a, like a, a, a you know, had such this cult following almost that like at Star Wars Celebration, dozens or, or almost hundreds of people would like dress up like this character and run through the convention center carrying an ice cream maker, uh, just you know to <laughs> just just for fun, right? And we actually get to figure out well, that's called a Camtono, and it, it is and it it's basically a portable safe full of Beskar, and I just love the little details like this, the little details that the Mandalorian is bringing to the Star Wars universe, answering some questions, but also posing new ones. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's just mm-hmm. so brilliant. It's one of the things Star Wars does well. Um, and I'd say Mandalorian done particularly well is there. Yes. 
there is a depth of detail in there that is astounding, but it doesn't, <clears throat> it's not at the same level, I'd say, of like seven or episode eight, where the de- it's, I'd almost call it like an overabundance of detail or reliance on like, oh, you don't recognize this particular thing? Well, then you, you know, it may not mean as much to you. Like the fact that you, we recognize that, oh, it's the ice cream machine mm-hmm. for episode five. It's not actually important to the, you know, how good the show is. It's just one of those really cool little details. Yeah. yeah. And to find out the whole thing was full of Basker, which was so cool because you're looking at it going, well, the ice cream maker is actually the lockbox that kept the Basker safe. Baskar? Basker, sorry. <laughs> Tom, you're the Mandalorian I, here. You're I know to I'm the Mandalorian. I can play <laughs> Basker armor. So uh, that was cool. But, but and, go Oh, ahead. man, just like he got the one is down payment and that was enough for a pauldron. And there's so I don't I didn't actually count. William, did you count? I feel like this is the type oh, of thing you would. Oh, really? I, I, didn't, I didn't. I did not count. count but I there, this just going. My God, there had to been I don't know sixteen to twenty of them, eight to ten in the, per stack, something like that. There's a lot. It was it was a decent amount. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and uh, it's all his. He completed yeah. the job. Yeah, and and this is one of the things that I think I loved most about this episode because I was expecting, I was expecting the Mandalorian would show up at the client's um, headquarters, base, lair, whatever you want to call it. I don't know. He would, he would, he would approach the client and then mid-discussion, he'd be like, nah, no, I, I, I take it back. I'm not going to give you the, 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 the child. And th- they start to, to set it up that way, right? Because they gave us little hints that maybe he was starting to soften toward the child. Um, they start to like, I, again, I love the way that the, the, the whole scene was shot uh, where they start to freak you out a little bit where uh, grief um, Karga talks to the Mandalorian over the holocom before he arrives. And he says, you know, I have no idea if he, the client uh, wants to eat it or hang it on his wall. Right. Which is like looking at the little cute baby Yoda. It's like, no, not baby Yoda. Not the baby and then Yoda. the, the way it's shot as, as you approach where, you're almost looking at the world through the child's eyes. Yeah. Right? The yes. camera's much lower. Yes. It's everything's a little scarier, a little more up close. Um, it, it how, how kind of overwhelming it is, and you can tell that the child is is scared. Uh, and then you know, with his you know cute big eyes, and then that's when, as you said, Tom and Stephen, you you get to the the base, and the stormtrooper grips the the um, the hover stroller whatever you want to call it and you're like oh okay well he, he'll still pull out right he'll still back yeah. out of this and he doesn't he gives the he gives baby yoda up he gives the child up takes his money and leaves and he, he does ask well he does ask what will happen to the child but he still just leaves and you could tell he's conflicted but the fact that he did that um was not something I was expecting at all. Maybe you guys well, were. I was not expecting him to actually give up the child. Now this, is, this is what I was hoping for. The I wanted to see that struggle drawn out throughout the episode, I think. Because it adds so much more weight. You know, he asks... <coughs> excuse me. Um, he asks, you know, what's going to happen to the child? And, and the client's just like, no, I'm not. Like, you've delivered the bounty, the mm-hmm. target... I like the guild's rules say you don't get to ask me those questions. And the tension in the scene is just so it's well phenomenal. Done. Yeah. Okay. 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 The, the the tension is perfect, but I think we're missing one thing 
that that I've watched this thing three times, and as I keep saying, it keeps getting better each time. As Baby Yoda was going away in his stroller, the look on his face and that little, and it's so oh. subtle, the little baby cry. Mm-hmm. And just just how, just, I loved how the scene just, there was enough, I'm going to, the direct, the direct, yeah, it's heartbreaking, but also she let the scene breathe because after that little bit of a cry, it wasn't an automatic, what are you going to do with the child? It was like, there was a great pause and you could feel the tension, but then you hear it. What are you going to do with the child? I mean, that was such a, so well thought out and shot scene. Beautiful. I mean, just, just beautiful. Absolutely. But yeah, and then he gives it up. He doesn't pursue the question any further and he leaves the child in the care of the client. And that's that's the part where I think everyone's hearts just break. Yeah, you're like, oh no, what has he done? Right? Because you kind of you you hope he would he would give in and see reason. He doesn't, and it's just again perfect. I, I right. love uh-huh. how they did that. Right, and I think I think it would almost be a cop out if they would have had the Mandalorian sit there and start a shootout at that moment. It it needed to be played out the way they did. And it was just because it seemed like when he actually, you know, when he returned to the enclave and and he's got the Beskar and the armor is actually making his armor. I mean, there was all that time passing and gives him that time to reflect. Am I doing the right thing? And you're sitting here trying to figure out, well, is he actually when he gets the armor, is he actually going to go back? Is he going to go for the next bounty? What is he going to do? It gives you that question as as an audience member watching this thing going, what's going to happen after he gets his armor? Yeah. Yeah. One thing I didn't okay, there was only one thing I did not really like in the episode. And that was actually um the the moment he returns to the Mandalorian Enclave. I, I wanna get I wanna get into t- discuss the rest of the Enclave stuff because it's just mm-hmm. incredible. There's a lot of good stuff there. So much good stuff. Yeah, but a lot. The one opening shot as he you know, he walks back down the hallway again, uh and, and just like before, the camera kind of pans backward as he walks toward the camera. And then we get the shot where you see the, the, the um, Minasar, Min, uh, Minasar skull. I'm sorry, Mythosar. Mythosar right? skull. Man, I can't get it out today. And um, and the camera pans down. You, you know, right? Um, mm-hmm. yep. And you see the, the armor and the, and the, the furnace and everything. That is almost exactly the same shot we got in the first episode with the same music. And it kind of felt cheap, like they were reusing the shot in some ways. I went back and watched later, and uh, the, 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 the location of the armor in the scene is slightly different, so it, it's probably not the same and shot. And he's carrying but, the Camtono as well. Uh, right, and then he it's, walks in carrying the Camtono, but like... I don't know. It, it felt too similar, but again, that's the only critique I had was it looked like identical, identical to a shot from two episodes before. Otherwise, it's eh, splitting hairs. It, it, it didn't bother it, it, me. It, it that did jump out to me much. at first, but again, like yeah. this is a fairly minor complaint overall. Like everything else about the episode is pure perfection. Right. It really is. Yeah. It, it's just yeah. so good. Oh, I guess I also didn't, I don't know the, the flashbacks again, while, the armor was working, forging the, the the, okay. the armor. Again, we got more flashbacks, so I, I liked that, but it did seem I, a little... I like it. 
I like it because I think it really is establishing that maybe I mean I'm 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 going to say it. I think it's establishing what was established now in the expanded universe, well, the now legend universe, to where when it came to the Mandalorian culture, yes, there were Mandalorians within your clan, but you could bring outside to be part of the clan, and then they will end up being Mandalore. And it's the same thing when it comes to, because the one thing that I still stick with, it's the foundlings, okay? Leave armor left over for the foundlings. That's where I'm thinking this is going toward. He appears to be, this is only, only, you know, I'm, I'm thinking this, he must have been an orphan that was found by a Mandalorian and was saved from that, that super battle droid that we see in the flashbacks. I think that's where it's going. And he grew up in the Mandalorian culture. And that, I think at this point in time, when now that the, you know, Caesar Mandalore is over and the, the Mandalorian revolution is done, they're down to so little Mandalorian Mandalores left which is even stated, I think, in one of the earlier episodes. You know, it's very hard to throw a rock and hit a Mandalore nowadays. They're only coming out one at a time. They don't know how many is left. So the way that the Mandalorian culture needs to go forward is they need to do foundlings and bring them into the clan, and that's how they're going to grow. Yeah. No, I I, I loved this. Uh, don't get me I wrong. Totally like, love this. I I think I was, my only critique was the 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 shot and the fact that I felt like it was too similar. Uh, but the 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 history. So we can ignore that now. The history yeah. Yeah, and yeah. the and how the Mandalorian culture works, I was just in love with the yep. entire time. Yep. Let's. Do you want to start with? Let's start with the flashback first. Yeah. Um, we we get a since we were already talking about that, we get that flashback, and as you mentioned, we see a super battle droid. We see uh, a separatist uh, gunship flying around. You know, just from like straight out oh, of the Clone how Wars. How amazing does that super battle droid look? Too. So terrifying. Like, it looks that so good. So cool. Looks amazing and. So I ha- we have to wonder, like, obviously, th- <clears throat> that's got to be during the Clone Wars. Yeah, um, I, would, I would presume. And I would assume, yes. It looks like the Mandalorian's parents were uh, were killed, and they 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 kind of put him, uh, uh, they they put him in this box to hide, and then the super battle droid finds him. So what happens next? Okay, Eric swears by this. Right before the scene cuts, when you see the super battle droid. He swears, and he's probably seen the episode as many times as I have. He hears a Mandalorian jetpack in the background. Mm. Interesting. So that's that's what he claims. So I actually, the first question I have is the thing you were talking about, Tom. Is it is he already a Mandalorian at this point? I, I originally so. assumed yes, but you're. I didn't think about the whole. You know, the, and we'll talk about it in a moment. The removing of helmet, like mm-hmm. maybe he's not. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also during the Clone True. Wars, and the Mandalorian culture was different at that point. True, but but yes, True. but but I still I still am holding on to when the Mandalorian has said it, save some Besker for the Foundlings. Mm-hmm. And you remember, I think the first time you see the Mandalorian walk into the Enclave, you see two little kids running around. Other than that, that's the only time you've seen kids. You've seen warriors from that point forward. So my my assumption is. He's talking the kids. Yeah, they, I, I, I think are the foundling. I hear and I think foundlings he was one of them. as you know. I, getting to what you said, back to the kind of original aspect of the Mandalorians in the EU, this kind of um, willingness to accept anyone who's willing to you know put in the the effort to be part of the tribe. I guess. Yep. yep. It's it's that I don't know tribal contribution that I think is obviously very central to Mandalorian culture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
and we we find out that i you know mandalorians are rare right that we, we we learn that they're not allowed to take off their helmets they're not allowed to go above ground more than one at a time yeah that one safety uh, that, that's fascinating super interesting to me yeah i'd like i'd want to see that explored later why why is this the case where you only see them one at a time and they have to stay underground or they have to basically stay hidden yeah like, I, what happens so we know that there's a great purge yep. and the implication of, of course is it's not the same as the jedi purge so and i i have to believe especially with john favreau involved like this has got to be what like the clone wars arc we're gonna see what is it next year i think yeah in february yeah with yeah. ahsoka and i think maul's in it too right mm-hmm. well ahsoka bo katan and i think yes you hear maul yeah like i just I'm hoping we're about to see the the Mandalorian Great Purge, basically. I mean, it'll be sad and horrific to watch, I'm sure. But absolutely, right. Well, the I, implication I, is it's it's driven them underground, and they well, to the uh, point of they're afraid to show their faces lest they be hunted down again. So right. I don't know if we'll see it in the Clone Wars, right? Because we know that we know bits about the Battle of Mandalore, but we also see the Mandalorians and Rebels, and, and the last time we saw them, Bo Katan was leading a, a, a coalition of Mandalorian c- clans. So clearly something happened post, you know, Sabine oh, and Bo-Katan. Post Rebels. I, that's right. I can't, oh, I'll have to go back and watch those episodes again. Okay. Yeah. But, but then that, that gets back to if something happened post Rebels and before this show, that's where I'm, I'm holding on to the foundlings thing. No, I, so what, I think you're right. I think something that, happened where they had to go into hiding. They lost almost all of them. Uh, mm-hmm. Grief Karga, uh, sorry, the, was it Grief Karga, the client, even says that Mandalorians are now even more rare than the Beskar itself. The Beskar is incredibly rare. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. there's not many people, and so I think the Foundlings are the, the new, the future of the Mandalorians, and mm-hmm. and uh, the, the 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 titular character, the Mandalorian, uh, he he gives fairly decent portion of his earnings of the best car he gets to the foundlings so they can um you know so you can help them uh, presumably get their own set of armor and uh, and stuff too given how rare both they and the the the, the armor is the metal is. well what can i say william this is the way yeah this is this the is way, the way. <laughs> which which i i just loved i just i just the other thing about that whole scene where they're with the the armor, the the two Mandalorians, the we'll get to it, the the heavy Mandalore and the Mandalore getting into that fight, and oh, I, uh, and, I know. and it wasn't and, and when they pulled out their blades, you're just like they weren't dark sabers, but they were viber blades. I'm like, oh my god, that. that is so awesome. We haven't talked about it from the previous episodes, but the the way they've done the vibro blades makes me so happy. It's yeah. the type of thing, like it's a small detail. Any other time we've had those weapons, you know, they're just, they're basically swords, but like the whole idea of the vibro blades, it's always, it's a, it's, you know, vibrating and that ca- mm-hmm. makes it more deadly. Mm-hmm. Um, and watching them go at it is just, was super cool. And just, the big Mando is my new favorite character of all time. Absolutely. Yep. Do you guys know what his name is, right? I did not yeah. until I was reading uh, your notes, William. Paz Vizsla, and was yep. voiced by John Favreau, who played yep. not well, only I, in addition I to being the, in the writer and Pick producer of the show, he voiced uh, Pre Vizsla in the Clone Wars. Now, so I, we don't know how Paz is related to Pre Vizsla. Um, Paz, I think, is post Pre. Um, but <laughs> sorry, 
couldn't resist. Um, but you should feel ashamed of yourself. <laughs> Let it go. Um, but there, there's definitely some sort of family connection there, and I love that John Favreau got to voice both characters for, for a split second. I was like, was that previsual? Oh no, couldn't be previsual. But no. it was still so cool to see, and he's an awesome, awesome Mandalorian. And like He's you said, that confrontation the, his, is just... the size, the armor. Yeah. I love the like, you know, we saw the the armor obviously has a unique helmet. I love his unique helmet as well. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a little bit more, I'd call it like brute force of a helmet almost. Uh not quite as sleek. Um mm-hmm. and of course he's got some other unique traits that other Mandalorians don't have that we'll talk about later. Yeah. Um but just their fight was fantastic. I love the armor stepping in and you know, basically just being like, no, look, like, it doesn't matter how we got the Beskar. It's good that it's returned to mm-hmm. Mandalorian hands. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, just this whole scene is just chock full of little bits and, and pieces that just open up so many questions. And, we, you know, we, we've seen the Mandalorians go through this big change throughout the, the the saga and now they're back into this kind of like they they were in the in, in the eu a bit where they're a little more in hiding a little more rare mm-hmm. um it sounds like they don't even have a home planet uh the, at one point it was mentioned that mandalore was shattered by the empire i don't know if that was literally or or, or figuratively but again a lot of this backstory hopefully we'll be see a little hints and drops mm-hmm. throughout this series I'd, I'd love to know more yeah you know, and then, and then, especially the catchphrase. This is the way. Where did that catchphrase come from? That that is now their mantra. It's a great catchphrase. And, and it's so cool. I mean, you you see We're that everywhere. That and then, what what I really liked is, you know, when the armor is sitting here trying to put his uh, armor together, she basically asked him, you know, how did you earn? I guess the damage that was on his armor already. And he mentioned the mudhorn thing. What I found fascinating was when the armorer said that I'm going to make a siglet. And put it on your armor, he said, and he was honest, no, you can't because I had my enemy help me. But it was fascinating because my enemy didn't know mm-hmm. he was my enemy. Well, I, I, yeah, again, he calls he calls the Yoda baby his enemy. Right. Uh, Thank you for clar- clarifying that. Sorry. I love seeing him try to rationalize yes. why he get, was okay with giving the child away. This this is that first step of the like oh I don't care it doesn't bother me the the overcorrection right it was my enemy we weren't working together they were you know uh, yeah he, he tries to to distance himself from it emotionally yeah he does so he doesn't feel so bad about giving up the child yeah yeah which is but just yeah what it, when, like I guess what is the signet? Uh, like I we he we keep hearing it and it makes me super curious. Is it? I think it's I, some kind of emblem or something that, like that she was going to put or, uh, into the armor. Yeah, that's kind of what I like a badge of honor. Kind of. Yeah, I think almost like you know, there's the um, the Mythosar skull on uh, on on Boba Fett. I think it's something mm-hmm. like that. Does that mean Boba Fett killed a Mythosar? Oh, probably not, but. Again, the, the I don't know the rules around how you, the, you earn those are. It sounds like it has to be an honorable kill or a noble kill. Yeah, but, but yeah. who knows? Yeah. 
Uh, I don't know if it's supposed to be your first major kill or what, but it's a it's a cool concept. And the fact that he he forgoes it because he didn't feel like it was a noble kill, or maybe maybe he thought it would remind him of, of the child. That's true too. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah, and 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 the sin because that's one thing we didn't talk about. This episode is named the sin, which has multiple meanings. Uh, throughout the episode, it could be the point where he he gives up the child. It could also be when he reverses that decision later, mm-hmm. um, which is just wonderful. But yeah, I almost feel like the sin might be might be eating away at him. Yeah, yeah. What did you guys think of when the armorer said that when you choose the way of the Mandalore, one is both hunter and prey? I, I agree with the hunter, but the prey thing is like, ooh. No, I thought that this was, I'm glad you brought it up. This was my favorite line in the entire episode. And okay, it, good. I think it's the probably the line that best summarizes this show as well. Yes. This episode is yes, about, yes. like, you know, the first two episodes, he is, without doubt, the hunter. Mm-hmm. He's hunting down his target. And the rest of this series, I think, is he's now the prey. It's a recognition of, you know, the, the role of a Mandalorian is goes both ways. And, and I think it's not just... I, I think he's not just the prey, but when we get to the end, I think it's now all of them. Because realize that whole... Cl- well, okay, we're going to jump to the end. Realize that now all of those Mandalorians mm-hmm. in that clan are now prey because he said at the end they have to move the Enclave. Yeah. That means now they're all prey because they helped him get away. Yeah. Sorry for jumping to the end. No, Spoiler no, you're to- totally, but, totally correct. Yeah. Speaking of which, how many, I wonder how many Mandalorian clans do you think are out there? I, I don't think this is the well, only one. Well, that's what's one. left. That's the question. Yeah, I don't think this is the only one, but there's, you know, there, there, there's probably not many. I don't know. Because uh, it's also fascinating that in, in Clone Wars and Rebels, we saw that there were a lot of clans and, and houses. And now it seems to be gone in favor of like tribes and uh, enclaves. Yeah. Uh, so like their whole culture changed when the Empire wiped them out. I mean, even to the point where, you know, Paz Vizsla, even though, you know, Beskar is, is incredibly valuable, right? Uh, Paz Vizsla doesn't want it and he doesn't want anyone else to have it because mm-hmm. it's, it's effectively like blood money from the Great Purge and, you know, the, the Empire, uh, the Empire stole it. They, they, they mined or, or stole mm-hmm. some, it's unclear what, all the Beskar stamped the Imperial logo on it. Now they're paying others for doing their, their dirty work and Paz doesn't like it even if they're reclaiming their own their own best car. Yeah. Lots of changes. It's tough. It's tough. And it's like, it it seems like at some point, because if they are so few, you are going to have to draw a line that, okay, sure. Sadly, you're getting your best car back. And let's say it's quote unquote, the blood money, but what are you going to do? It's, it's, you have to, you, if you want this and if this is part of your culture, this is part of your armor, you, you have to take it. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of which, what did what did you think of once it was all once the new cuirass was was forged? What did you think of the uh, the new the, armor? The new armor. Oh, frick! Awesome. Yeah, awesome. That nothing else to say. Yeah, <laughs> just <laughs> even his his original I, armor was so cool to begin with. I like the color of the original walking armor. In with this, but yeah. Here's the thing: I'm not sure about though. Was his old armor already Beskar? I did the sense I it wasn't so because 
Wait a minute. Go ahead. Go ahead because I. I Why did you think a line, it was? I think, but go ahead, William. I uh, see. So I did. I got the impression that it maybe was like it was some sort of strong material, but it wasn't Beskar, and he's upgrading. And that and there, there is that line where he says like his his armor's lost its integrity, and he has to yeah, start again. Yeah, that's what I was going to bring up. But I, 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 yeah. I, you know, was it Beskar or was it something else? If it was Beskar, I, mean, I thought it was supposed to be pretty strong, and that. Maybe uh... I, yeah. This see, this is where I wasn't sure either because at going into this episode, I assumed it wasn't, but just the way he describes it made me think that it it is Baskar. It's just been you know passed down or it's older mm, and it's just yeah. you know super damaged thin, at this point. Th- yeah, Baskar it, it's almost so rare. Yeah, and it's almost a feeling that over time the amount of wear and tear it gets, it maybe loses its integrity. It may not be a fast degradation. But maybe he's had that armor for so long, it's losing the integrity within itself. Because yeah. I think, isn't it in the first episode when he went after his first bounty, the one of the guys in the bar mentioned the Besker, and when he sat there and took a knife to it, you saw it yep. actually spark off of his armor? Yeah, so like, yeah, and they call it Beskar earlier. I totally yeah. forgot about that. Yeah, so. so it has to be an integrity thing. Over time, it must be losing some integrity. Yeah, because we know, we know the armor is passed down by through the generations. You know, yeah. uh, typically, uh, you know, through either, you know, blood or adoptive parents, probably, or, or mentors. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I could totally see the, the, the armor being damaged over many, many, many years, mm-hmm. uh, passed down from someone else, you know, and he did, there's not enough Beskar to reforge it until he gets this Completes windfall from turning in the... The, the the child and he also since he, he since, since he foregoed the signet he gets some uh, some co- co- cool cool um wrist mounted weapon birds. called yeah oh birds. god those were so cool yeah which which show up later but that's a really cool weapon uh I, I guess they must be made from beskar then i would assume so yeah it's pretty cool very cool uh, I wonder, yeah. do you think, obviously, decorating armor is a big thing in, in Star Wars. Do you think we'll see the Mandalorian customize his armor in the future? I suspect we'll continue to see that. Um, It'll probably also, evolve over I'm, time. I'm going to call it right now. I think his signet is going to be a like a Yoda head. Oh, man. That's, that's yes. going to be my prediction. That Well, you oh. see, that's because now that becomes a very interesting thing. You've got the Jedi are all gone. The Jedi were an enemy to the to the Mandalorians, you know, all those years ago. And now you've got the Mandalorian culture that's just about being wiped out. So basically, you're almost looking at a a uh, my enemy has now become my friend because in a way, him protecting baby Yoda is kind of protecting the way of the. The force, or if you want to say the way of the Jedi. I mean, we'll we'll see. Yeah. You know, we know we know the baby. Yeah, is I mean, I, it, all this is speculation. I mean, yeah. I out of just this one episode, you've re- I've read so much into it going forward. We have no idea how it's going to go from this point forward. And I'm sure people are out there listening to this, going, "Oh God, they were so wrong," or people are just like, "Hey, I never thought of that." But the, it is so wide open, and I love it. It's so oh, wide yeah. open from this point. That's uh, so great about this. Yeah, so I love that from, so, you know, he gets his new armor, and then he goes into the next phase, I would say, of desperately trying to figure out how to uh, 
basically like erase the loss and pain of losing baby Yoda. He goes back to grief Karga for another jump. Which was very funny to, to have grief Karga sit there and keep telling him, you know, take some time, relax, go, go. I'll, I'll take it. I'll take you to a sauna or have this drink. Cause if you have this drink by the time, you come like bathhouse, which, thank you. you know, yeah. Yeah. And then the other th- the thing I found very funny was, hey, why don't you go have this drink? Because by the time you get out of hyperspace, you'll forget all about this. Mm-hmm. Getting high on spice. <laughs> yeah. 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 And and his comeback was, give me a job that is the farthest away I can get. Just so he can yeah. get away from it. Which apparently is the ocean dunes of Karnak. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hunting down a uh, Mon Calamari. Yeah. Uh, but but again, you know, he takes the hardest job he can. The fir- the fir- actually, good point. It's the furthest away job he can. Yeah. as far away he, from yeah. the baby oh, as possible. He's desperately trying to run. Yeah, because can't run from your feelings. Nope, no. not at all. No, and, and you know, and that's why, like, he, again, he tries to ask Grief Karga, like, what's going to happen, and Grief um, reprimands him, like, you're you're not allowed to ask that question. Job's over. You know, if the one interesting thing he said with it was if you if you feel bad about it you can report it you can report the imperial remnant to the new republic just go into the core file a complaint and maybe they'll do something but like that's the best you can do and even at this point the mandalorian thinks the the new republic is a is a complete joke so that's a that's a non-starter but that leads to oh in a, in a scene episode of amazing scenes what mm-hmm. maybe one of the, oh, the, the best scenes and that's when the Mandalorian he, he goes back to the Razor Crest and starts powering up the ship and when he reaches and he touches the the uh, the lever with the knob that the baby Yoda had grabbed earlier and tried to play with he pauses and he looks at it because you know the the knob still isn't on it on it yet and he puts it on and he thinks, and it, and it 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 tonally reminded me of the the scene where Anakin is he's he's making his big decision in, in Revenge of the Sith, and he's looking out over the Jedi Temple as Mace Windu and the Jedi are, are going out to arrest mm-hmm. Palpatine. And he yeah. makes the decision to go save the Emperor in the hopes of saving Padme, saving mm-hmm. Palpatine. It very much felt like that, except in this case the Mandalorian makes the decision to do good. And he yeah. quickly turns off everything and immediately goes back to the, um, uh, goes back to the client's base. I just, I love how quickly he's, he makes up his mind and then there's mm-hmm. not, there's no hesitation from then on out. Yeah. No, he, he just goes like he, he scouts out the place first. He, he, he kind of looks around and he finds the the hover uh, hover stroller in the a dump in a, in a trash. Thrown away in the trash, just thrown away in the trash. Ugh. And that's when you start to wonder, like, oh no, oh no, what's happened? And mm-hmm. even even that just kind of tugs at your heartstrings. And then you, you know goes, what's so cool about all this? You're seeing this from from the. You're not seeing an actual reaction of a face. It's just yeah. a guy in a helmet. It's body language. It's action. 
and it's just so fascinating. Yeah. Pedro Pascal brings such so much of the role without anything. I I don't know. I don't know how you audition for that. Like, okay, so Pedro, uh, I want you to walk across. I don't know. I'm assuming all auditions happen on a stage. Like just walk towards me on the stage and I want you to be menacing, but have a little bit of heart, but a little bit of uncertainty too. And it's like from a walk. Yeah. Just where I can't like there's so much detail that comes through all of that. Mm And and even just for grabbing the knob and even for grabbing grabbing the knob out of, you know, baby Yoda's mouth and later dropping it back in his hand. I mean, just the subtleties, it's amazing that can be pulled off from really and it's it you it it's talk about an acting job that he's doing. It's just amazing. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah. on top of that, directing too. I mean, you have to look at it from the director's point of view. They're sitting here trying to convey to somebody in full-on armor and helmet how to do this scene. And the direction they're giving them and being given back is just amazing. Yeah, I mean, if if anyone was worried about the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, after this episode, you shouldn't. Oh, no way. No, no way. Yeah, it's... uh, Expectations are, you know, sky high at at this point. Um, Would you say they have the high ground? (laughs) <laughs> don't try it <laughs> um okay. so we also get to, to learn about a, a new uh some new capabilities of the mandalorian's rifle and this is really cool right because then he, he starts staking out the place and he goes up high on the roof of a adjacent building and apparently the the, the weapon has a heat sensor and really cool uh, listening tech so they can like overhear what's going on inside of a building you don't like the when you're a kid and you bought those like those little plastic toy devices you could you know hear what's across the room um but way better uh and there are two very very intriguing uh things that are are are, uh, brought up as the the mandalorian overhears uh the client dr pershing talk the first thing is uh the client uh, uh well pershing says tells the client that uh they were explicitly ordered to bring the asset back alive. Who do you think that who ordered yeah, that? Yeah, it's Yeah, that's going forward, there are so many questions that need to be answered and you know that a lot of these questions probably won't be answered, but the hopefully the most important ones will be cuz who is that client? What are they going to do with it? Are they trying to clone more of these or are they trying to take genetically the material and put it somewhere else and see what so happens. Where, let's talk about where does the cloning come from? Cause that's, that's okay. not something that occurred to me naturally either until I saw what I think you're about to describe. Well, it's not just that. I think it was brought up in the first episode. The, the doctor who basically is trying to save baby Yoda, um, on his patch, it's a patch mm-hmm. that goes all the way back to Camino to the clones, uh, the clones of Django Fett or basically Boba Fett. Or all the clones, really. Because yeah. as they're sitting there going through their learning process, on their sleeve, I believe, is that patch. That's correct, yeah. Yeah. So, in some case, it's it could be cloners. Okay, that was my very bad imitation of you-know-who. That was actually but, not bad. Hello, well, thanks. Um, I tried. So, all this stuff going forward is going to be so fascinating. And just, mm-hmm. it's so funny when Mandalorian comes in and Dr. Pershing's like, don't kill me, don't kill me. What do you see right in front of you hovering is an imperial, dr- imperial interrogation droid. 
It's not his interrogation. It's it's uh, Doctor Ball. But whatever <laughs> it is, it's right out of start, right out of a new hope. It's such a great nothing different. It's such a great scene. Yeah, and, and we, it still it, gets blown away. <laughs> and we learn that um, apparently they were trying to extract the necessary material, which yeah, again, it sounds to me like DNA. That's, That's how I read it too. That's how I read it too. Okay, because I, I, yeah, because that that's all I could think of what it was, and 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 earlier, like the other thing we find out is that uh, the client tells Doctor Pershing that he can't protect him anymore, and that was a a, a surprising comment as well. Cause we don't know what the relationship between Pershing and the client are is, you know, because um, the client seems to be some sort of He's, he's related to the Imperial Remnant in some way. I, I think he controls the Stormtroopers, right? But then there's Dr. Pershing, probably involved with the, the Kaminoans. Um, we don't know how they're connected, but the client basically gives up on Dr. Pershing. And during the whole infiltration scene, which we will discuss in a moment because it was incredible. It's uh, so cool. Just so cool. During that whole infiltra- infiltration scene, the client's nowhere to be found. Yeah. Dr. Pershing's there. The client's gone. Where'd he go? Why won't he protect Pershing anymore? The The job in theory, in theory, is not complete. Although we did find the baby in some a device of some sort. Was well, it extracted like DNA? A, uh, Had it already succeeded? Was it life support? Yeah. Is that, okay. I don't know. Life support scanner, I don't know. But whatever it was, he was just laying there calmly asleep, but... Because they, they, they did extract the, the what they needed from him. So, I don't know if it, yeah, it may have been like a healing device or life support or the, the, the extractor. Well, if it's a healing device, then, well, we're not going to go there because we don't know what happened. I, I don't know. I mean, there's so many questions. Yeah. Going forward, so many questions. Yeah. But, and but, why but, does Dr. Let's per- get- and Dr. Pershing even, one more thing about Pershing, he even says he was protecting him. Also, yeah. this is a confirmation that the baby is a he. Um, he says he was protecting him. Mm-hmm. Like, was was the, the, the Imperial Remnant trying to go further and do something else with the baby? I don't know. Okay, so Imperial Remnant or possibly First Order. Because remember, this is supposed to start giving us some kind of hints at the first order if no if i remember correct somebody said that this is going to start giving hints at the foundation of the first order it's possible interesting yeah i i honestly don't remember or Um, or put it this way put it this way we don't know if it's the imperial remnant or the first order at this point all we know is we see remnants of stormtroopers from the original uh the original well the original trilogy we see remnants of the stormtroopers but then again later we're going to start seeing no, we're going to Death Troopers two are from the original trilogy as well. So yeah, technically, one yeah, of we the, don't know. One of the few things the Imper- the uh, Star Wars dot com data bank does say is that they are remnant stormtroopers. Right. Um, again, we don't know the relation. Uh, you know, they may uh, c- connect to uh, the First Order in some way. I don't know, um, but they are r- some sort of remnant stormtroopers. But something tells me we'll find out. Yep. Yeah. But now we got to get to the good part. The breakout. No, no, hang on. Before the we get break to the breakout. The break oh, in. Oh. I, I just, the break <laughs> in. Watching him, like, 
Tom, have you ever heard of Splinter Cell? I know you have, William. Oh, I oh I've heard of Splinter Cell. I've, I've never played it, but okay, yeah, so I've, it's a it's a uh, a stealth based game, and there's just so much of that. I just I felt like I was watching a Splinter Cell movie of like, oh, he's there, he's hiding in the shadows, he ducks into the corner, he takes out a stormtrooper, he moves the body so no one else sees it, he hides back behind another crate like that. Just oh, so so good. Yeah, the way he, yeah, the way he like takes out the security droid and lures the stormtroopers out in the alley and then blows open a hole in the back and just goes in the back way, incredible. And then the the lighting in that scene, it's it's all dark, uh, but the stormtroopers have flashlights on their blasters, and you really feel much like the Force Awakens. You feel the weight of the blaster. You know, I, I remember the first time we watched the Force Awakens and uh, Finn shot the stormtrooper. I think it was Finn, or was it Han and Chewie? I can't remember now off the top of my head. And the the stormtrooper just goes flying across the hallway and just lands in the armor, cracks, and you're like, whoa, we've never seen the you know, the the felt quite that weight and the sound effect before. This is in this this episode as well. You really feel uh the stormtrooper just like smack. Every detail down. in this episode was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And then you get the the, the flamethrower, <laughs> the Mandalorian charbroils that stormtrooper. Oh man, is, are we sure this is still rated PG? It is still rated oh, PG oh, because I, again, yes. the armor is blackened. How, you but... don't see. Okay. Yeah. Everything, especially especially when when he shoots the grappling, whatever it is from his wrist. Oh my gosh! And pulls the trooper to him. That was done off camera. Very barely off camera. Yep. But that was done off camera. Brilliantly because even, shot. Even I saw that and I was like, oh, when it happened. Yeah. Again, they, they strike that right, but the right balance. Of, oh, yeah. 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 And and the other thing is since, well, now they're not going to put anything that's, yeah. So anyway, yeah. Everything they did was other than the, um, the um, oh, God, the thing that came from his wrist. What was that again? We the whistling birds. Uh, whis- whispering birds? Yeah, whistling. whispering birds. Bird. No, sorry, whistling birds. Whistling birds. That That was so cool to see. And what have I always said? If you call attention to something, you better use it. Boy, oh, did they man. use it in this episode. Especially especially when he sat there and you know it's like you knew it was coming when he says, Okay, he's putting down the he's putting down baby, you know, baby puts Yoda. Baby down, puts yeah, the puts baby down. down. And then you see him just slowly, slowly clench his wrist, his fist, and then done. All over. Especially that last one. The last one was the funniest one. Three of them went down. And that last one took just that couple brief seconds longer to where he watched he was like, it. What? <laughs> yeah. Just oh my god, amazing. Brutal. Oh god. Such a oh, and then yeah, and then you won't even talk about brutal. Once he gets out of that den, now he's walking down the main street, and as you cut back to the bar, everybody oh, had the little pots. The, yeah, the little shot. trackers for Baby Yoda. Yeah, all of them start blinking again. Yeah, and the, and the just bounty like, is back in play. Yeah, and then and then to go back to Carl Weathers' character, he just like looks at it, and you could just tell he's like, it, it was either a look of, I can't believe he did it, did it, or it's like, no, it, it's almost like a thing of disbelief that this thing is I going. I took off. it. Dis- I I saw it as disappointment. Okay. His, yeah. His or just star pupil has yeah. made the dumbest possible decision. Yeah. Yeah, and then if you look at it this way, when the episode's called The Sin, I think right now, out of everything in this episode, that is probably the biggest quote-unquote sin of the episode because he went against now 
the guild. Yeah, and and I, I again I loved like all you see all the trackers just starting to come alive, and as he walks down, like mm-hmm. everyone starts to follow him. And he, he really strong. is just getting surrounded by all the people he used to work with. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we don't really know exactly how trackers work. Like, do they track your DNA or like, how do they know exactly your position and all that stuff? But who cares? Like the scene was fantastic. Yeah. Um, and eventually he is confronted by grief Karga himself you know, the guy you thought was his his friend, uh, basically telling him to surrender wow. and give up. Not just Grief Karga, but Grief Karga and probably every single bounty hunter on that planet. Which I, I think that that the planet is entirely populated by bounty hunters because there's a lot I, of bounty I mean, hunters there. William, if you see every bounty hunter is, you know, you just you know, they're bounty hunters there. Of course, the guild has an outpost, and you're just sitting there doing your daily job. You're at the grocery store. And all of a sudden, they all pull out a single tracker that's all beeping, and you're just like, "Guys, I think it's time to go home and not go outside for a while." Yeah. Oh, so not, good. Not a good day. No, 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 not at all. And then when he's standing there, totally surrounded, Carla Weathers just comes out and says, "You know what? I'm your only hope. You put the baby down. Actually, put the baby over there where the droid is with the trailer." And then we'll talk because right now I'm your only hope. You're not getting to your ship. Mm-hmm. And you knew even when he said that there's no way the Mandalorian is walking out of there alive. No, it's yeah, it's, it's a done deal. He's, he's not walking out of that thing in one piece and, and neither is baby Yoda. So, and it's a close fight. Like it was an awesome, awesome scene. Yeah. Um, where like everyone is is closing in on him, and he he jumps in that the little uh, uh, cargo speeder pickup truck, pickup truck, pickup with truck the droid. thing, yeah, with the droid. I, when he like looks at the droid and like threatens him, and the droid just starts driving, it's great. Um, the whole scene was just incredible. Uh, the action, the the way he's like shooting, uh, you know, every which way, taking the guys off the roofs. Uh, they, they talked about how the shootout at the end was actually inspired by Deborah Chow's father who loved films like uh, Akira Kurosawa's uh, Yojimbo or John Woo's mm. Hard Boiled. And of course, Akira Kurosawa like very much influenced Star Wars in general, so you know, that's that's a uh, really cool to see. But the whole the whole fight was good. It was very good. Uh, but just when you think he's surrounded, he's lost, everything like that there he's lying you know, a flat on that little, the, the bed of the pickup truck mm-hmm. out of nowhere. Oh, the best part of the entire comes. episode. The thing you could watch a thousand times. It's the beautiful, still be amazing, the beautiful shot of the rocket flying over his back. You knew what was coming. When you looked up and saw that contrail come over his back, you knew all heck was breaking loose at that point. Oh yeah. And here come oh, the Mandalorians, the Mandalorians, oh, something full, the clan, glory. Yeah, something I never thought we would see in yeah. live action. Heck, barely in like you know in 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 animated. Right, we've seen some some good Mandalorian fight scenes, but this takes the cake. I just love the one Mandalorian that I think once he lands in the middle of the street, he's just strolling and picking them off, just without issue as he's going down the street. Just, just amazing. I was like, oh my god, this is so cool. It was just. 
everything I could ever have wanted. Yeah. Especially when when the heavy Mandalore comes in with his gun, his Gatling uh, gun. Yes. That was just that that brought you back to clone troopers with the heavy armor and, mm-hmm. and, and the heavy gun. And and you're just like, oh my god, this is just but so it's but it, it's that plus we're in live action. Yeah. Like this isn't, you know, an animated clone trooper with a heavy gun that looks really cool. Now this is like a big weighty Mandalorian with armor that looks and probably feels real. Yep. Unloading and just, uh, it's oh, just, just everything I could have wanted. And, and the coolest thing about this. Okay. So they buy the Mandalorian time. He gets into a ship with baby Yoda as he goes walking into the back of the ship. Naturally, Carl Weathers character comes down and confronts him one last time in the ship. And this is, this is the thing where I'm, I'm finding fascinating. It's like, how are you, how, how do you read this? Okay. So Carl brothers has the drop of the Mandalorian. I'll get the character name one day, please. I'll get it. And you're probably sitting there on your, on your, your, your listening to this going, the, the guy's name is this. It's okay, Tom. But we're just giving you grief. It's what? We're just giving you grief. Sorry. It's gree. Okay. Gree. His name so, is grief. Anyway. Thank you. His name is gree. So gree's got the drop of the Mandalorian. Mandalorian sits there. And, and basically pops a valve to put steam in his face. Okay, so Gree is sitting there shooting for anybody he wants. Can't find him. And Mandalora has one shot. And where does he get him? In the Besker. That, earlier you saw in the bar, Gree even said that he got paid some Besker. Now, here's the question for you guys. Do you think that was a deliberate shot? That Mandalorian I, knew because it was hmm. called out earlier. That's where he could shoot to basically not kill him. True. I mean, Grief... I don't grief think, uh, I, I hadn't considered I don't that. Think so, you think it was lucky? I think it was luck. You I mean, think it was a lucky shot? I no, not. I don't think it was lucky. I think he was going for the kill shot, and I think it was luck that uh, grief will survive. Well, yeah, I, I mean, it would have been it, it would have been difficult to hit through this through that uh, steam. But I like the theory that maybe he was trying to spare grief because they were friends, sort of friends, business partners, I guess. Uh, it would fit with the Mandalorian's character, but uh, my yeah, my my initial assumption was yeah, it was totally accidental, George Washington style. You know, <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm still alive, um, thanks to the the best guard in my jacket pocket. Um, great great scene, but it did allow the Mandalorian to escape. And, I think it was on purpose. Okay, I, I totally I totally think it was on purpose. Because, because you know, Gree's going to come back later. But I, I think Stephen, you're the one that said that. Yeah, he did it on purpose. I, I totally think it was on purpose because I, I just he easily could have done, let's say, a headshot. Easily could have done a gut shot. Why right there? And again, as I've said before, if you call attention to something, you better use it. Yeah, so well, I think I, it was done on purpose. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I. Uh... Who knows? I, I like I would like to think it was done on purpose. It may not be, but Okay, but also also look at it from this point of view. If he did it if if he did it on purpose and basically saved Gree's life, don't you think now the Mandalorian can use that as you owe me? Because I easily could have, like all the other Mandalores, picked off all the other bounty hunters, but technically I spared you. So you could now at this point owe me for your life. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. 
we will see in the coming episodes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love the final shot. You know, Mandalorian is taken off and he sees pause the, you know, big Mando with his jetpack and give him the salute. And just that comment of like, I got to get me one of those, which, you know, like that's, that's, that's all of us. It's gotta be coming. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's the same reaction. All of us have when we see that. Oh my gosh, I got to get me one of those. It's just, Really, the everything from that point on is just so good. the the whole The whole scene, even the little moment when you know he, he's shooting his jetpack and runs out of uh, uh sorry his, his flamethrower and runs out of uh, uh out of uh you know gas and stuff. Oh, they just so perfect. That was fun. Where you saw him use everything in his yeah. arsenal when he was defending himself. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You yeah, everything. It, oh. Yeah. Are, are, are you guys... re- yeah, please. Let, let's rate it. Well, uh, uh, yeah, actually, before we d- jump into the ratings real quick, I had a couple a uh, couple questions for you guys. Okay. Actually, hit me. Uh, we got some uh, listener crush questions from a good friend of the show, uh, Ace Attorney. So oh, uh, who's I... been on the podcast before. So. Yeah, uh, he had a couple questions for us. I thought we would uh, indulge. If you have any listener questions, pl- feel free to um, uh, send us a message on uh, Twitter or or Facebook, and uh, we'd love to answer your questions. So, uh, the first one, um, the, the what do you think of the the scale of this show compared to other Star Wars uh, media we've seen recently? You know, the, so, sometimes it's a it's a it's a larger giant story. Sometimes it's a more intimate. Um, this one kind of seems to be a bit more of an intimate story. Thoughts on that? I I think it's perfect. I think, I think not it, every Star Wars story needs to be a galactic civil war, you know, a massive thing. I think it's good to have different kinds of stories set in the universe. This to me, this is exactly what Star Wars needed. Totally agree. I think. See this. This is going to be a fascinating thing. I I would imagine with Star Wars going forward. I could see movies being more of the epic scale, bigger storytelling, few characters in the cast, you know, this one and probably with the Obi-Wan series as well, a focusing on one character. This one is working so well on so many fronts. It's the best storytelling for this story. Obi-Wan could probably be the same way, but if they have another story, it would probably work bigger Then I think it would work better in movies. So I think right now, having two ways to tell a Star Wars story by way of a visual medium, you have to pick the right story for the right medium, and it's going to work. This is working for this story and this character. Yeah, I uh, I agree. I think they're striking the, the perfect balance. Yeah. Um, how about favorite, uh, one for each of you guys, favorite, uh, favorite Easter egg and favorite memorable or classic one-liner from uh from the first three episodes so far oh my god really all right uh this is the way <laughs> actually my favorite uh, it's not a one line it is one line but the line about ba- mandalorians being both hunter and prey has been my favorite line by far I it's agree not, it's not snappy that. but it was just it was fantastic i i agree with steven on that one and this then the second one is this is the way i mean just this is the way yeah. uh, Easter egg, huh? Wow. Well, um, God, I really haven't been looking that much for Easter eggs. I've just been enjoying the show the way it is. 
I gotta say, uh, so for for me, uh, while you guys think about it, uh, favorite one liner probably is "I have spoken." I, I love that one. Um, just a fun one. And it is a good one. Uh, favorite uh, favorite Easter egg so far has to be. I, I know it just happened in this episode. There, there's so many little Easter eggs, uh, but the um, uh, the Kimtono, uh just just <clears throat> the fact that it's such a big thing for fans like the average viewer would have no idea but fans have always wondered what the heck is this thing and we finally um get to see it um do you guys think of one i've got an easter egg yeah and i believe i'm correct on this i believe there's a zabrak in that fight scene in the uh out in the the town Mm -hmm. i believe that's there's a zabrak bounty hunter there yeah he was pretty cool yeah so that that's my easter egg there Oh, for me, it's tough. I don't know that there's a single. Yeah, I don't really have a single Easter egg that stands out to me, I guess. Like the ice cream maker is the most recent one. Um, but I think that's probably the closest. Nice. Okay. Um, two more. One more quick question and then um, uh, and then we're, all, we're almost done. How, how do you think fans would feel? Because obviously this is live action and it's it's incredible. Do you think the fact that it's live action changes uh, the response versus animation? Like, how do you think fans would have felt if this was animation versus live action? I I think it still would have been well received, but not nearly as well received. I don't think the uh, like we've had amazing Star Wars animated shows for a while. Um, they just don't get the same amount of attention. Yeah, I, I think you're totally right. Like, animage, we've had a many, like, the Clone Wars and Rebels, fantastic, but they flew under the radar because they were animated. Mm-hmm. Versus the fact that this is a live action means, I think, you know, the three of us and, and all of you listening, you know, you guys would have enjoyed it regardless, right? Uh, you know, animated right. Or, or live action. Oh, but course. I think the fact that, and you would have watched it, but the fact that this is. Um, the fact this is live action, I think, opens the potential for the audience. Also, I do think it makes it a bit cooler in a way. You know, like, I love the animation. Uh, don't get me wrong. But seeing something in live action just feels that much more realistic. Right. And um, it's just just incredible. Just incredible. Man, yeah. I, I think for me, I'm going to get to... When it comes to the story you want to tell, what's going to be its best medium? I think for Star Wars, Rebels, Resistance, and Clone Wars, that best medium was animation. I think when it comes to the to this one, I think... Okay, I'm going to go on. I think it would be as popular as probably Rebels. But I don't think it would be as popular if... It, it wouldn't have the popularity as it has now in live action. I the don't think reach. what they're doing with this. Right. Yeah. I don't think with what they're doing with this could be pulled off the way it is right now in live action. I think what's making this work for me is when you see the stormtroopers as gritty as they are, you're seeing it dirty. You're seeing a good environment. You're seeing mm-hmm. lighting. You're seeing directing. You're... It, it, animation is its own beast. Animation has its own way of directing, its own way of lighting, its own way of this. But there's a there's a lot of people who are working within the vision of the director. Here you're looking at a live action thing 
with a director, still with everybody working in it, but still like the director's vision that to me is a little bit more hands-on. But the environment that's being built this way, I don't think would translate the same way into a CG animated film, even if he's talked to D. I don't think it would translate. If the story is strong, it's going to work, period. It will have an audience. But this yeah, I is think working it, on a different level. There's something like, I don't know, shots like you know the finale of this episode with all the Mandalorians. Um, we could have, and we have had battles like that in Clone Wars and Rebels. Right. And they're cool. Right. But they also lose a little bit of something because we they're animated. You know, like, and I'm I'm gonna make a, a very gross generalization. Like, oh, it's just you're taking models and copy pasting them in the computer. It doesn't have the same weight as, oh, there are, you know, however many people, and I realize there's CGI involved there mm-hmm. as well, but like the it feels more real and it gives it more weight. And I don't know. It's but it the- really is very very well done right and and to to bring up a case in point if you were to do the scene like like i love the scene of that one lone mandalore in the middle of the street just shooting bounty hunters left and right and all the smoke and stuff are are coming by him and you see him with within the mist and the smoke you can pull that off in cg as an anim as animation but it will look so much different between the two and to have a better weight an actual a live action person compared to a CG person, there's a weight there that's just not in animation that you get in live action. Yeah. And that's what makes that more realistic. Totally agree. Totally agree. I think think it makes, like we've seen cool stuff before, but it does make a big difference. Yeah, it makes a total big difference. uh, Live action. It gives it that extra oomph in some ways. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Rating. Yeah, what do you think? Ratings? Uh, yeah. One one more question, uh, and then oh, we're okay. going to dive into the ratings. So uh, lastly, uh, Rick asks, um, uh, what episodes of the Clone Wars and Rebels would you watch if you want to understand the backstory of the Mandalorians a bit more? And so uh, so I actually prepared a, uh, a, a list of a few episodes. Um in Star Wars The Clone Wars, obviously it starts in Season 2 with the Mandalore plot, Voyage of Temptation, and Duchess of Mandalore. Those three um, kind of introduced uh, uh, Satine and the, the new Mandalorian culture, which is different from what you see here. Uh, very different. Sorry. Um, from there we go into uh, the, the, there's like the four-part episode of The Clone Wars in Season 3, uh, Corruption, the Academy, Heroes on Both Sides, uh, and, and uh, a friend in need. Again, you get to learn a little bit more about the um, uh, a little bit more about the Mandalorians, and then um, uh, and then of course the 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 it, the the Maul arc uh, ends uh, on Mandalore as well with like uh, the Lawless, uh, but Revival, Eminence, and Shades of Reason lead up to that. But really, the, the Lawless uh, ends on Mandalore, and then going into Star Wars Rebels. Uh, there's a there's a lot more because we have uh, Sabine uh, as part of the show, but uh, I'd probably recommend um, uh, Out of Darkness, uh, the Protectors of of Conquered Dawn, um, the uh, Imperial Super Commandos uh, in season three, um, Trials of the Dark Saber is really great. Legacy of Mandalore, um, 
and then uh, Zero Hour uh, parts one and two, and of course Heroes of Mandalore parts one and two in season four. That's just a few episodes, um, but uh, there's a lot of really, really great content. Boy, that's uh, putting somebody on a spot to try and try and pick one or a yeah. couple episodes. No, no, no. no. I, sorry, you you guys don't have to pick some. I I, I okay. pre prepped it all for you. Uh, give us okay. a lot. Very yeah. Important. Thank you, because yeah, because I because I. I would be the one that would go back and, and if you want to pick it from there, that's fine. But I would go back and read something from the now legends universe. That's, that's where I would go. If you want to see just that little bit that I believe is translating into this now, but we won't know that until the episodes go forward. Yeah. The, the Republic commando books are really yeah. good as well. They're God. no longer Canon, um, but they were I, fantastic. I love those Republic commando books. I really do. Me too. Yeah. Me too. But I, I, I just, I, I'd like to get onto the rating because I'm just. Ugh. Yeah, t- let, let's, uh, let's get, let's get to those ratings because, man, that was, that was such a good right, episode. So Tom, you want to go last? <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go last. Stephen, what, what would you give this episode? Um, so I, I think I have to do it. I'm just gonna give it a ten. Um, there's nothing I wish they had done differently in this episode, from start to finish. Just a fantastic job, like. Writing was on point, directing was on point, acting was on point. There was literally nothing I wish they'd done differently. Um, they did just an amazing, amazing job. Which, yeah, like I don't even, I don't even know what else to say. Um, and I guess just get your womp rats. Yeah, I'm gonna. I want to hear. I guess I'll make my uh, my ten womp rats are part of the tribe, and you know they're gonna help the Mandalorians, the rest of the tribe relocate. Uh, after everything that's happened. You are now part of the tribe. Yeah. As C3PO would say. Nice. Um, oh, I, I, I'll, I'll do the same. 10 Womp Rats. Um, just, it was incredible. Like the last, all, all, every episode of the season has been incredible, but I'm going to give this one 10 as well. With the one caveat, yeah, I felt like a couple of the shots were a little bit repeated from uh, episode one, but like this is everything we've always wanted to see. We've always wanted to see a giant Mandalorian battle uh, in live action, and we actually got to see it. We get to learn a lot more about the the culture of the Mandalorians. There's a lot of mystery remaining, which is exciting. Um, but we also got uh some some answers too. We got the the emotional weight with you know the the Mandalorian's decision to give up Baby Yoda and then go rescue Baby Yoda and all of the action. So overall. Yeah, I'll give it a I'll give it 10, 10 womp rats um, out of out of ten, and you know what? Let's uh, I think the y- you know we had the uh, Kowakian monkey lizard on a spit uh, <laughs> last week. Also in the market, there's a there's a bunch of womp rats on a spit, and to speed up the process, um, the Mandalorian just uses his flamethrower to you know trap around. Just, just get him a little more rare. A little more well done. Yeah, exactly. Be crispy critters. Exactly. Fascinating. Yeah. Tom? Okay. I- I'm going to make it unanimous. I'm giving it a 10. If I could give it a 10 plus and a 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 plus. <laughs> I, th- this was, got, my God, third episode out the door, and this was just an absolute 10 to watch. Um, th- there's really not much more to say about it. it this was just outstanding. So I'm going to take my 10 Womp Rats. And, and you know the, the Mandalorian gun 
that, you know, not only can it sit there and kind of, you know, read through walls, but you saw it when it literally disintegrated some of the, the bounty dudes. Well, you see how that thing gets powered is there's really 10 womp rats in this one big, uh, hamster wheel that when they start running really fast, that gives it the juice to make it so destructive. So those 10 Womp Rats are actually helping the Mandalorian power that weapon to make it powerful enough to literally blow these guys into smithereens. Okay, nice. Or I could have said the Mandalorian was using the front end of that to destroy all 10 of those Womp Rats, but I figured I might as well be nice yeah. to them. Yeah, that works. That yeah. works. It's very nice of you, Tom. Yeah. yeah. They, they appreciate that. Well, I'm, I'm sure they do. <laughs> Next week, they may not be so lucky. That's, that is correct. Yeah. Um, well, uh, moving on, we also had uh, an episode of Star Wars Resistance. Um, they aired uh, Season 2, Episode 8, Rendezvous Point. It was written by Jennifer Corbett and directed by Bosco Ng. And in this episode, Doza attempts to meet a Resistance pilot from his past. Meanwhile, the pilot has been captured by the First Order. And, um, you know, this was a... Uh, I really like this episode. Um, this was a f- this was a fun episode. Yeah, it yeah. was. Uh, it uh, uh, it's 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 hard to to talk about. Like, it doesn't quite reach the same highs of the Mandalorian because that's again, it's it's rare that you get a perfect episode. Um, but no, I I I really like this. We actually get to meet um, we get to meet Venezia uh, Doza, who turns out to be uh, uh, Tora's mom. And uh, uh, Emmanuel Doza's wife, which never uh, saw that one coming. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was a neat thing to introduce. Yeah, yeah the, the the fact that you know she's a resistance pilot, and um, and we obviously know that uh, Emmanuel Doza used to be a um, an imperial officer. So it's a really interesting, almost like Lost Stars uh, story uh, in, in a background for these these two characters, where they they fall in love. While he's an uh, he's an imperial uh, um, officer, and she basically convinces him to defect uh, and, and join the join the rebellion at the time, uh, which I would love to get the backstory on. Like that sounds like a really interesting story. Um, so I, well, I they're going to have to do it pretty quick if this is the final season. But yeah, I'd love to. I suspect it's something it we will not get in in the show itself. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't think we're actually going to get it in, in here. But um, I would, I would hope we get it in some other form because I, I, honestly, these are the kind of stories I think would be so much fun to see, right? Um, but we we learn that uh, uh, unfortunately, um, you know, Venezia decides, uh, Venezia, uh, she decides that she the first uh, the, the resistance needs her. The first order is is rising and so six six years before the force awakens before the resistance show show is currently taking place um or i guess six years before uh uh, last jedi now uh she basically joins uh general leia as the resistance is being formed and basically leaves her father and daughter behind and it's not quite clear why emmanuel doza and tora don't Obviously, Toro is too too, uh, too young, but why Emmanuel does it doesn't go with her. Um, but it, presumably, maybe it's to take care of of Tora, or he he's done fighting, or or something, and so they only get to see each other 
once a year on Torah's birthday. And that happens to be today. Uh, Tom, what do you think of, uh, of Venezia? Well, what I find fascinating is when she got captured because she, you see, yes. Uh, when she got captured by the first order, what I find fascinating was she knew Tam and that kind of caught Tam off guard because you did, the two of them did run into each other because naturally, Oh God, I'm sorry. I lost my train of thought, guys. <laughs> well, I'm so sorry. actually, touching on what you you mentioned, um, the I, I love the dynamic between uh, Tam and Venezia, and I think this is where we start to lay the groundwork for Tam's redemption arc because Venezia. Uh, well, the one annoying thing is uh, the Colossus, I guess, decides to activate a beacon and wait around randomly for Venezia to show up. And no one on the Colossus except Doza and, 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 and Tora know why they're doing well, this. It was, if I remember correct, it was they did it every year on on Tam. Um, well, sort of. It sounded like... Yeah, it was like every year on a birthday. Doza and like. Tora would leave by themselves every year. That's but this true. is the first oh, year that they, that they, they basically put the entire Colossus in danger to wait for their mom to say hi, which I get well, wanting to see him. But like, uh, sorry, Torres bomb. There's, yeah, yeah. Stephen, maybe not the uh, smartest thing when you know the first order is hunting you, though. No, right. But but they had to take a chance. I mean, they did it every year. They couldn't get away, so naturally, take the station to where you're going to go. Right. And sadly, the first order shows up. But well, sad again. thing is, if they, if, but the funny thing is, if they would have waited like a couple more seconds, right when the Colossus jumped into hyperspace. Then the X-wing jumped yeah, out of, of hyperspace. Of course, the timing is yeah, just always off. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, it's it felt more like this was done purely for story reasons rather than mm-hmm. because the it made perfect sense. But you know, it, you're right. It was there just to move the story along. But yeah. Uh, well, but, I, I think it also helped when it came to Tam too. It helped that story move well, ex- along. Exactly. That's exactly what I was. It, yeah. Yeah. It did help in starting her to question what was going on. Right, and Hopefully. well, it, it, because it, because the Empire happened to be there, uh, Venezia was captured, and we got to see Tam and Jace again, finally, for the first time in six episodes, and because my, that's my favorite part of the story arc, and um, it gives us an opportunity to kind of get inside Tam's head a bit more. Uh, you know, Venezia recognizes Tam, and that that you know that uh, catches Tam off guard. She doesn't. She thinks Venezia looks familiar, but can't quite place it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, I did like seeing Venezia try and, I don't know, get Tam to humanize herself almost for lack of a better word. You yeah. Know, encouraging her like, no, like your name's not DT one, two, three, or, you know, whatever Tam's designation is like you have, you have an actual name. Mm-hmm. What is your yeah. actual name? And, uh, and not just that, what do you actually want? Right, she pressed her Tam on that multiple times. Why are you with the First Order? What, what is it that they do for you? Not the galaxy, right? For you. Well, mm. she did say she was going to be a pilot. I mean, Tam did throw that back, but then it's like, but is that the only reason you're going to be here with the First Order? Is because you're going to be a pilot? And then I think she also sat there and mentioned that it was um, uh, Jaeger lied to her. Mm-hmm. You know, that's another reason why. But then. Also, you know, Venetia came back and saying, but you know what? 
he loves you as a he loves you like a daughter. Yeah. Right? She he mentioned something like that, which I and, loved. Yeah, which was good. And I think she also kind of brought up to like a certain extent. It's like you know what, to a certain extent, he may have done that, but there could have been a reason why he did it. Mm-hmm. Again, it seems to be laying the groundwork for 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 Tam's return. You can yeah. start to see this. Like at one point, um, I almost thought she was going to let Tam go. Like when she was standing outside the prison, outside the cell block, mm-hmm. it almost looked like she was gonna let Tam uh, let Vanessa out. And instead, uh, Torch uh, Vanessa's droid knocks Tam out instead. Um, but I wondered, like, if 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 Torch hadn't intervened, would she have opened the door? I don't think so, but what I found fascinating is Venetia and Torch, it seems like they've gone through this so many times. There's almost like a script on how this is always going to play out because even Venetia sat there and said when she was pulled into the tractor beam into the first order ship, it's like, okay, here we go again. Same setup. Torch, basically, you're going to play dead. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get captured. Then later at the right time, just when the stormtroopers are getting ready to dump you in the trash, you're going to come alive, shock them, and then come get me out of the brig. And, and that's that's actually those little references, though. Did, did you guys catch those references? She said Bakura. Yes, and, I heard Bakura. Yes, which and, heard that one. And Lahan, Fantastic. which is another name for Rakata Prime. Rakata Prime. Oh, that one I hadn't heard. That or one. I, I, I heard Lahan, but I didn't know what it was. I should. Say. Yeah, I I, I'd forgotten it was a it was another name for uh, Rakata Prime, but that's from uh, the books the book Teresa Bakura and the video game and Night's Little Republic. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. And later when she says that they, she and, uh, and Torch escaped Terex, that is uh, first order Imperial security bureau agent, agent Terex from the Poe Dameron comics. Oh, that's uh, interesting. So they're, they're making some really nice connections there and it kind of shows that she's out in the rest of the galaxy, mm-hmm. um, you know, doing this, this uh, work uh you know on on her own it's just it's really cool it's very very cool um yeah, i thought the detail in this episode i thought was very well done um, yeah i like tam's kind of not quite questioning but starting to i really liked when uh Van- uh why am i blanking on her name i want to say Van- vanessa is it vanessa Venetia. thank you i was close um, when, you know, she's got Tam hostage and when, uh, Jace is there mm-hmm. and I love the, the moment of Jace's, you know, she's like, you know, Tam's like, Oh, he, he won't shoot through me. And Jace is like, well, I think I would. Yeah. Don't bet and, on he, that. And she has that little look like, whoa. To, yeah. But the moment of like, Hey, I saved you and you won't do the same for me. Like, come on. Well, and you remember he even said as much in that, uh, in episode two, like, uh, of the season, you know, if I were in your position, I wouldn't have saved me. I would have kept my my standing in the in the squad, uh, the the uh, the squadron. Uh, and now we see again that he was willing to shoot her. He couldn't. He couldn't pull the trigger, but he said he would have, and that that kind of throws Tam. And and then even later, right as they're trying to uh, escape the ship, uh, Tam basically lets Vanessa go. She's like, "Yeah, go get out of here," and. Vanessa ends up stunning her as a cover story, and the, the look on Tam's face, a pure shock and surprise, is priceless. Um, but I, I just can't help but feel like Tam would have let her go at, on multiple occasions. And she even covers for her later, saying, "You know, um, uh, telling I don't know who this was. I don't, I don't know who the, that 
whose right. identity this is. Yeah, yeah, Tony that's true. Tierney. She yeah. easily could have spilled the beans. Yeah, I, I was wondering when when um when Vanessa she she does this awesome diversion uh, with the by having Torch fly a Tie Fighter try to steal it, and while she goes back and hacks you know unlocks her X wing and and flies out, um, and, and as this is happening and they start to fly away, Tam says, no, wait. She shouts, no, wait. Was she talking to the stormtroopers trying to shoot? Or or to Vanessa leaving? Like, don't mm, don't leave without me? I, I heard it as it, it is about the stormtroopers shooting. Okay. But I, I'm i not 100% sure on yeah. that. I don't know. I, I In some ways, I wonder if Tam was starting to, to kind of melt too quickly. Um, but it was also really nice to to just see it in general yeah just having tam at all i thought was like you said it's been like six what six episodes it yeah. was it was time i'm glad we revisited her story yeah and, and actually fascinatingly this was um this was not like uh, kaz was not really a, a main focal point of the episode he, he was in it they kept cutting back to him yeah there's kind of a, a b plot going on throughout the episode about the you know, like it's Tora's birthday, and so mm-hmm. she wants to go and save her mom, even though it's dangerous. And then, you know, the, uh, the rest of the aces celebrate, and it it was okay. Like, a, you, it wasn't. You a, don't love a gourd cake, <laughs> gelatin gourd cake. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Oh. oh. Uh, but you know, you're that right. Was it, it was a beat plot, though, and I think it's the first time we've seen Resistance do that. And I I liked how they focused on, um, on Venezia. In, in fact. Kind of almost wish it was normally focused on her because she was more of your typical like. She was a very. I thought she didn't was a very interesting character to have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd like to see her come back. I I, sure. I hope so because like she leaves and she does fly away and goes back into hyperspace and and Tora doesn't get to see her. Um, but she's a very unique, a very interesting character and adds a lot of depth to the whole dynamic with Tora and <clears throat> and uh, Emmanuel Doza. And we find out she even used to fly with Yeager. Uh, so, you know, they all know each other here. Uh, and I, I did appreciate how Kaz, <laughs> he offers to help Tora on her plan to go just see her mom, says, poorly thought, pl- thought, poorly thought out plans are kind of my thing. Which we... Was uh, yeah, isn't that true? Very true. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, which is, which is great. So, But no, overall, like... I thought Vanessa was really cool. She's got a, a neat custom X-wing um, with like proton torpedo tubes in the in the in the wings instead of the nose. Which, uh, fun fact, was designed by ILM model maker Bill George, the veteran model maker from the uh, original trilogy. He actually built the model uh, practically, and then they remade, remade it in 3D. See, that's cool. Um, so yeah, it was a it was good. Oh oh, and probably my favorite uh, my favorite episode. Uh, I'm sorry, my favorite part of the little design detail in the episode was Torch's dome. He has, I don't know if you guys noticed, he has a transparent dome, so you can yes, see the inside. Right. That was pretty cool. Which is really cool in this style of animation, because like, you know, it, 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 it's actually 3D, even though it looks kind of 2D. Um, but it had this really cool effect where when he turns his head, you still see all the parts inside not turning, and I loved it. Yeah. I really like that part. So, but yeah. Um, Reviews? I, yeah, I guess we can get to that. Yeah. yeah. S- Steven? 
Um, yeah, I guess I'll give this a uh, seven out of ten Womp Rats. Um, I don't know what I guess they're gonna help aid in uh, Vanessa's escape, but it was just a solid episode. I thought I was really quite happy with uh, you know how they handled all of it. It was just it was just enjoyable. I liked the kind of focus of the plot. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm gonna give it. Uh, oh, sorry. What what are you doing with your Womp Rats? Oh, there's they're helping Vanessa escape. Okay. Oh, great. Sorry, I may have missed that. Uh, I'm gonna give this uh, seven and a half Womp Rats. Uh, like Steve, I thought you know it was a really good episode. I I loved Vanessa. Uh, I hope we see more of her. I I like this risk. I think if you can call it a risk, the show is taking focusing on maybe other characters uh, a bit more. Not that. I, I like Kaz. Kaz is, you know, he's a good character, but I think um, sometimes he can be a little over the top, and Vanessa, mm-hmm. it brings a good balance uh, uh, to the show. And I also just really like to be able to see Tam again and, and all everything going on there, because I think that's the most, one of the most interesting uh, aspects of this series right now. So uh, uh, that was, uh, and also, I guess one more thing, I, I, I really enjoyed the scene, the, the shot where like they're looking down the hallway, these stormtroopers spot them, and then the camera like pulls out quickly down the hallway. Just little, little nice touches. So, yeah, I'm gonna give this a seven and a half Womp Rats out of ten, and my uh, my seven and a half Womp Rats are going to uh, they're gonna go relax on uh, uh, Rakata Prime because it's a cool planet. I like going there. Interesting, Tom. Okay, well, I'm going to agree with you, William. I'm giving this a 7.5. Um, it was a solid episode. I liked it because it actually moved the story forward, and we got to see somebody kind of plant the seeds in Tam to sit there and start questioning if she's doing the right thing going forward, if she should stay with the First Order or possibly leave. We don't know. We'll find out. Season's going to end pretty soon, and so there has to be a conclusion to her story. So my seven and a half Womp Rats, um, they actually helped make the cake for Tora. That's why there is a half a womp rat because the, um, the little guy inside was hungry before they put him in the jello mold. So yeah. Okay. Yummy, yum, yum. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they, they were the cake bakers of that cake. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, coming up on ion cannon, we have the Mandalorian season one, episode four, chapter four um subtitled tbd uh the mandalorian teams up with an ex-soldier to protect a village from raiders so i suspect this is when we will uh this is when we will meet cara dune played by uh, gina carano for the first time um but very excited to see what happens this show is just so good so so good so looking forward to it yeah cannot wait and with that thank you guys as always for listening uh and uh we always appreciate it if you have any questions um feel free to send them to us we would love to chat with you and Mm -hmm. uh yeah i uh we look forward to talking with you next week uh for if you're in the u.s have a great thanksgiving and uh we'll talk to you guys after the holiday this is the way this is the way Thank you for listening to the Ion Cannon Podcast, your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. For over a decade, Ion Cannon has covered every corner of the saga, from the films and animated series like The Clone Wars and Rebels, to books, comics, games, and more. If you like what you hear, please rate us in your favorite podcast client. Your review will help this show grow within the Star Wars community. 
We can be found at our website, ioncanoncast.com, and you can follow us through Facebook and Twitter. To email us, you can do so at contact at ioncanoncast.com. The Ion Cannon Podcast is not associated with Lucasfilm, The Walt Disney Company, or any and all of their respective trademarks or copyright holders. Any opinion expressed on the show are that of the hosts. This podcast is a production by fans, for fans, and is copyright 2018.